Good morning. Well, happy Thanksgiving weekend. We're, we're in our series that we're going through Second Peter. And so for, if you're joining us, I just want to do a little bit of a recap. Peter is one of the 12 disciples. If you guys don't really know, are, are new to, to Christianity, new to the faith, new to the Bible, Peter is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus or one of the 12 followers of Jesus. He was a fisherman that encounters Jesus and where Jesus says to him, Peter, drop the nets that you're going, uh, that you're using to fish fish, and you're no longer going to do that. You're going to fish men from this point on. So let's go. And Jesus gave him a purpose and made him a new person and gave him a fresh start. Peter's life is transformed, and Peter follows Jesus for the three years that he's in ministry, watches Jesus die, denies Jesus three times. But Jesus also said to Peter that on this rock I will build my church. So Peter is ministering and he's one of the, 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 the ones that really gives this incredible sermon to start off and kick off the church. And now Peter is writing this letter, 2 Peter, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, two separate letters and written at two different times. And he's writing this, this second letter to the church. And he's encouraging the church because he knows that he's in prison. Peter got arrested because uh, he offended both the religious and the political pow- people in power by speaking the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Peter's in prison and he knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to uh, be made an example to the rest of, rest of Jesus' followers and said, you know what, you do this, we're going to kill you. And so Peter knows his life is coming to an end. He knows that his days are coming to an end. And the tone and the sense of this letter in the three chapters of this book is basically don't waste time. Do what is important. Do what matters most. Time is short. So in chapter 1, Peter encourages the church to remember who God is and that his grace and peace and his power is with you. That you need to press into knowing God's promises and remembering God's promises to, and to be grounded in the word of God. Then last week as we got into chapter 2, Alex brought in a solid message in that we need to trust God's word. But while we could trust God's word, we can't trust every man or woman who preaches it. I know some of us here have met people who have called themselves Christians, who are supposed to be the most loving people, but turn out to be just the opposite of that. And I want you to know that that's not God's heart, and it's not a good representation of Christians and the church. But my hopes is today that we could bring some healing into that. And that through Jesus, that we will have some breakthroughs of some of those strongholds that we hold on to. So let's pray. Father God, we treasure your word, and I believe that you desire to speak through the verses that we're going to look through today, in which you want us to understand your love for us and to understand the very way that you see us. So, Father God, we just pray that you encourage your church today by stripping away the lies that we have been told. May we hear from your word and be transformed by your spirit. 
May our worship be unto you and our lives be a glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look into the second part of chapter 2, starting from verse 15 to 22, we're going to finish off the chapter today. Both chapter 1 and 2 are intended to do the same thing. And that is to confirm the church into the ministry of what they are to do. Chapter 1 is confirming in the way that it's urging and, 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 and saying that this is who you are. Remember, this is, you, are, you are what I've established as a church. Whereas in chapter 2 is more of a warning. But like I said, it points us to the same place. It's to be the church, one that is grounded in the word of God and presses into the promise that is in God's word so that we can be God's witnesses to the end of the world to the ends of the earth. But chapter 2 is this big, big, big beware warning for us that there are false teachers. You see, we see both in the Old Testament and New Testament of false prophets misinforming and spewing nonsense. And Peter said, as long as God's people have been around, there have been false teachings and, and we will have false teachings. People will use scripture and edit or manipulate it to say something that it does not say. And they're going to add and remove things, as we heard last week, as Alex pointed out, to support the worship of greed or money, sex, and power. Jesus, Paul, along with Peter and the rest of the apostles, use strong words like liars, calls them the Antichrist to express the dangers of heresy and false teaching. Because false teaching leads people away from faith and from godliness. It's dangerous because it steers people away from God. But one of the things I want to make sure that we're clear on as we talk about heresy or false teaching, because sometimes we know that, I mean, we sit here as a church as Five Stones, and some of you have probably been to other churches, other denominations, other, other forms of churches, that there are disagreements in, in and within the church. That in theology, we actually degree, disagree. And just because we are Christians and we don't see eye to eye in theology, does that make it heresy? And so I want you guys to be very careful with that because that's not heresy. You see, there are core doctrines which are absolutes in truth, right? These are primary things like the absolute authority of Scripture, the triune God of the Father, the Son and the Spirit, um, Jesus born of virgin birth, Jesus' life in the, in the way that he ministered, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, and the salvation that is through Jesus alone. These are the things that are primary doctrines that all churches believe in, okay? These are things that unite all of the churches around the world. Then there are secondary issues, like which Bible translation to use, what worship style, women in leadership, gifts of the Spirit, how do we do communion, should we wear head coverings, on my way down, as I drive down every Sunday, we pass through by a couple Ethiopian Orthodox churches. And as they're, they're finishing off their service as I'm driving, and they're all wearing these white coverings, these almost blankets over them. And that's part of their tradition. 
and part of their theology. But they're no different than what we believe. They may have certain, certain sacraments that they, they follow, but it doesn't change the fact that they're still part of the church of Jesus. Those are all secondary issues. And just because we disagree on some of those things, it doesn't make it heresy. Okay? That's not false teaching. So let's make it clear. We don't, I don't want this to become a place where you're saying, well, we believe these things. That church doesn't believe these things. And we start to, to fight amongst each other as churches. As a church, we need to be united in a place of we know who Jesus is, that, that Jesus is the only way, and that salvation comes through him, right? So as long as the church is preaching those things, those, those core doctrines, lift them up in prayer, support them as brothers and sisters, encourage them in their faith, encourage them in their spiritual walk. So... Now that I've established that part of it, what is a false teacher? Well, starting in verse 15, it says, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgressions. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by spiritual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever comes a person to that, he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandments delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. That's from Second Peter's, for those that didn't know. There's three things that Peter actually points out in these verses. Okay? First, first, he points out that a false teacher is one that forsakes the right way. Okay? And then he uses this example of Balaam. Have you guys heard of the story of Balaam? In the RSV, I love reading it, this particular story in the RSV, because it doesn't use the word speechless donkey. It actually uses the word dumbass. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding, okay? So I'm not swearing. RSV, read it. It says the dumbass, okay? So you want to read this story with full color? RSV, Okay. Same thing, it actually says the same thing. Speechless donkey, dumbass, exactly the same thing. But it's a story of, that we find in actually Numbers 22. So if you haven't heard the story, please go ahead and read this story. Where the Israelites are approaching the land of Moab. And the king was afraid of what the 
Israelites will do. So he goes to the prophet Balaam and offers him money to curse the Israelites. So Balaam isn't an actual, he's not an Israelite himself. He is a prophet, but he's not an Israelite. And so the king says, Balaam, I'm going to give you and offer you money to curse them. And Peter uses this story because Balaam's heart, Balaam loved gaining from wrongdoing. Specifically to gain from someone who's willing to pray for his prophetic services. But as Balaam comes to this place of going to, to do what the Moab king has asked him to do, God interjects. And God stops him. God sends an angel down and, and with a sword drawn, he stops the donkey in his tracks. Three times. Balaam tries to go across, but Balaam seeing this donkey, uh, Balaam's donkey seeing this angel refuses to go. And every single time Balaam strikes him, the donkey's like, I don't, there's an angel with a sword standing in front of you. Do you not see it? Balaam doesn't see it. So God opens the mouth of Balaam's donkey, this dumbass. Well, we'll figure out who the dumbass is in this story. <laughs> and says to him, what have I done to you that I deserve to be beat like this? Do you not see that there is an angel blocking the way here? And at that point, Balaam's eyes were open. He sees, he sees this angel. And eventually, Balaam, instead of cursing Israel, actually blesses Israel. Right? He, he changes. He, he, he meets God in a way. I mean, a talking donkey. Come on. We're not like it's Shrek here. You know, <laughs> Shrek and donkey. It's basically if you're looking at it, Balaam is Shrek. A talking donkey. Come on. I'm not making this stuff. Read it in the Bible. Numbers 22. Read that story. It's a great story. But what Paul is using the story is saying that their false teachers will do things for greed. Just like Balaam would. Okay, Balaam's heart was, was geared towards that way. He didn't go that way at the end because of what God did to in, in interject and to, to intercept his, his, what he was supposed to do. But Peter's like, look, this is, this is the greed of false teachers. They'll do things for money. Then the second thing that are pointed on in these verses starts in verse 17. It says, these are the waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For then the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. What does it mean? It's like being in a desert or being in a very hot space. You're parched. You're thirsty. Have you guys ever driven through like California? And it's, it's hot. The sun is beating down. And like on the highway, you almost see like little ripples of water because it's so hot those are the things that we call the oasis you think that there, there, there's this oasis that's coming and you run to it, you're thirsty you're, you're, you're crying for something you're crying to, 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 to help you not be thirsty and you get there and it's nothing but more sand it's nothing but just dryness That is the same thing for false teachers. 
They preach things and offer insights and freedom, but in reality, it's empty. Those that preach messages to draw your heart into prosperity or happiness, but it isn't found in the person of Jesus, it will leave you dry. And the third thing that Peter draws out here is a little bit tricky. It says, for those that speak loud boasts of folly, they're enticed by sensual passions of flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is a slave. They preach a freedom. You see, the reason why this is tricky is because freedom is what the gospel is about. The New Testament is a call to freedom through faith, but it's not a call to give you free reign to your passions. In Romans 6, 1 and 2, it says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, should we gain more grace by sinning is what this question is asking. Oftentimes, false teachers will teach grace without truth of new life because in Romans 6, it actually continues by saying, by no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? That Christ gave us a new life through his death and through his resurrection, that in his death and our sin was done and that we are no longer slaves to sin, but free from it. But false teachers will come and instead of preaching freedom, which is in Christ, who gives us true freedom, these false teachers will teach us, in our current culture, we hear this all over the place, that our freedom comes from our own thoughts, our own opinions, our own personal beliefs. And how we feel replaces the true gospel. Freedom to justify and distort the truth, to live out the real you. The problem is that the real you without Jesus is broken. And we can't overcome the this brokenness by just trying to live out the real you. We're left trying to live out what we feel like is right instead of what God created you to be. We use freedom as an opportunity to indulge in our love of money, the love of praise, the love of sexual pleasures, the love of power. And what this freedom actually does, it does a reverse as, the, as these verses actually tell us. It actually entraps us. It's a false gospel. It tells us to chase after happiness instead of joy and holiness. To be comfortable and live a life of prosperity and to be pain-free actually keeps us in bondage. You see, false teaching always makes a promise, but it always fails to, to, to deliver. Satan knows how to counterfeit and hijack some of the things that God promises us. But what Satan does is he pulls Jesus out of that truth. And what you end up is longing for a kingdom with no king. Lastly, Peter goes in, verse 20, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Jesus Christ, 
they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse than the first. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true Proverbs says has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This is tricky. It's tricky because this is basically a whole other sermon on its own. But when we read these things, we think about those that were once believers, those that are Christians, and we probably all know one or two. We think of those that, that are in our family. Maybe they could be children of ours, or they could be friends of ours. They could even be past disciples, be disciples or past pastors that, that built into you and, 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 and really discipled who you are today. And we see them turning away from God. We see so many pastors and leaders that are falling away from God for the exact same things. Greed of money, power and position, and for sexual pleasures. These, these pastors are enticed by these things. These leaders are enticed by these things. And they turn away from God. And just like the proverb says, it's like a dog returning to his vomit or a sow, a pig, that's been washed returning to the muck. Because there's no life of transformation there. What we see is that what this is talking to is not just talking about new Christians, or it's not talking about um, even the church today, because in Galatians 2, it talks about how, as Christians, if you're truly saved, that you're a new creation. But here it says, a pig is a pig, even after you wash it. So simply put it, that's not a new creation. I feel like we all know people that are close to us. Friends, family, or parents. It could be children, pastors, leaders. That, in that sense, have walked back into the mud. And we say, what do we do then? I just want to offer you one solution. Is that we just pray for God's miraculous grace to break through in their lives. So, reading these passages, what is a false teacher? A false teacher is someone that spreads misinformation about the core Christian doctrines. It's someone that disagrees with God. Actually, in 1 John 2, it says, the one that denies Jesus is Christ and denies that the Son has a Father. These are people that are false teachers. When they take Jesus out of the equation. But lastly... I want us as a church to take this with grace, okay? Because this is going to be a hard part of it. Because as five stones, right? We're all called to be his witnesses, right? So the way that we speak, the way that we live, tell the world and each other what our hearts really believe. 
Peter says here is it's not just those who preach. Yes, those who preach, like myself, like Alex, like Pastor Andrew, like Eugene, like Pastor Rich, we're held to a higher standard. But Peter also says that a false teacher is someone who lives life in such a way that is incompatible with the gospel. That someone who claims Christ and lives opposed to him, they too are guilty of spreading misinformation. So fine stones, I put that before you. And I ask that you receive that with grace. Because we think of those situations where I lose my patience with my kids. Am I showing and telling something that is false to my kids? When I lose patience with a server or a customer service person, or when I do not love my neighbor as, my, as, as yourself, or when you do not help those that are in needs, when we, those are times that we are doing things that are incompatible with the gospel. So think about the things that we have done where we feel terror and shame. I know I've done those things. I'm in the same boat as you. I've done things that are in contrast to the gospel, and I'm sure that you could agree with me that you also have done things that are incompatible. That is spreading false teaching as well. But you know what, church? This is what makes the gospel of Jesus even more stronger because we can all say that I have fallen short, that we could all say that I've given into weakness, that we could all say that I've told lies with my words or even with my actions. But it's only because of Jesus that we can stand blameless before God. The biggest difference between those that know the gospel and those that teach a false gospel It's pretty simple. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, it's the Sermon on the Mount. This is proper teaching. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness. Those are markers of the right teachers. That's the posture that we're supposed to take. We look out there right now in our culture, we look out there at our social media, and we have leaders and people that are preaching a gospel of finding happiness within yourself. That we could do it that I need a new plane so that I can minister to, to people across the world. That I don't need spiritual covering. That I don't need people in authority over me because I carry the mantle of a pastor that, 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 that leads this church. All of those are dangerous signs of false teachers because they are not accountable to anybody else. Pastors who fall into sexual immorality, where they, they have this power over people and they feel like they could do anything and that they're bulletproof. There's no humility that comes with those things. 
where we just read in, in the Sermon of the Mount of Jesus telling us this is the posture of what a true believer actually is. That we need community. Alex had a great picture of three beams and people walking on them. Great art, right? You get, see, every single one of you guys remember that art because that's how great it is. <laughs> but that we need community. That is a church that we walk together in community. And that if we do not bring that accountability to ourselves that we are in danger of preaching a false gospel and that we are in danger of being a false teacher. So church, Peter warns us with these things. Peter gives us the truth. He's just like, look, in chapter one, he said, peace and grace that I come to you, right? God's peace, his grace will come unto you. You get to experience the power of God. Remember those things. Remember that the Jesus that we're worshiping today, I watched him transfigure. That he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets. And that the word that we look at, the word that we we have that's in front of us is the absolute authority that we believe on. Okay? Peter says all of those things in chapter 1 and then chapter 2 is just like, make sure that you know the gospels that are preaching out there. If it is not grounded in this word, if it is not backed up by this word, if it takes Jesus out of the equation, then all of those things are false teachings. Church, this is the trickiest thing, is that false teaching always sounds really good. False teaching always is very enticing. False teaching is, is, makes you feel all fuzzy and warm on the inside. But I promise you, I'll leave you empty if Jesus is not in that equation. So how do we know what is preached is false? It's very simple. False teaching does not teach a message of repentance. Repentance means that Christ is our only hope. That Christ gladly took our mistake in our rebellion and he called us saints. That Christ covers our sins and that same Savior is powerful enough to save you and is also able to carry you through the crisis that you're in right now. That he is able and that he has not forgotten you. That's how you measure it. Church, beware of your actions, but beware of what you're taking in for yourself as well. Be careful, because there's a lot of things out there that preach a false gospel. That's why we have each other. Okay, church? Because sometimes we have to measure. We need something to measure it on, right? We have the Bible, and the Word of God is good, but sometimes... The Bible is, is, is hard to understand too. But we also have the gift of the Spirit for discernment and for wisdom in terms of how we look and read into these things. And lastly, we have our community. We have our community here where we're saying, hey, I've been 
working through these things and I've been thinking through these things and I just want to make sure that I'm still in line with what God has to speak, what God is speaking to me. That's why we have our small groups. That's why we have our Bible cities. That's why we have uh, an opportunity for you guys to sit with the pastors and, and be able to say, hey, can we, can we sit together and make sure that this is right? Make sure that I'm aligned that we come together to do this as a church. A church is not an individual. A church is this. The person that's sitting to the left and right of you, that's your church. The person that's sitting in front of you and behind you, this is your church. This is a place where you have the safety to actually figure out and journey with them and say, how do I live this life together? How do I live in a place where... I understand and are reminded of Jesus in my life. So as we finish off here, when we go into chapter 3 and finish off, we have only a couple more weeks here in, in Second Peter. But I, I want you to, to hear the urgency of Peter, that this letter is written to you. This letter is written to five stones. This letter is written for the church to know, hey, time is short, life is short. But what you do matters here on this earth. And then what you do also matters because it gives glory to who God is and it lets the world know who God is. So in the chaos and the messiness and all the the, the noise of what's going out there preaching that false gospel, you're there to bring light into that place. You're there to bring light into those places to bring the real gospel, which is in, in, founded in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for your message. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word breaks through strongholds. And Lord, I just pray that as we sit here today, as we, we, we think, think through just the passages that, we, that we've read through, Lord, that you encourage us as a church to really get into your word, but also to, to have the discernment and the wisdom to navigate this world. So Lord, we pray that as your church, we be a representation of who you are and we ask for your grace and your mercy as we live this life with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, we talk about Jesus being our foundation and, you know, it's his love that we, we build our lives on. And, you know, he, he calls us not to be perfect. He calls us not to try and show perfection to the world because when we pretend everything is perfect and we walk around outside this building, no one can see Jesus because we've covered it in spackle and pride and paint and we've hidden every case where Jesus could shine through. But when we show our brokenness, you know, when you look at why do we come here, you know, on Sundays? We don't come here because we think we're perfect. We don't come here because, you know, we think we're better than the people out there. We come here because we know we're broken and we know we sinned and we know that each and every week 
There's not one that goes by that we don't need Jesus. So when we then take that same mentality out into the world, you know, there was a couple months ago, I think it was John spoke about broken vases and light shines through them. But that's exactly what we are. And that's why so many people don't see Jesus when they look at people that come from churches because they're hiding it under paint of perfection. But when we allow our brokenness to be seen, when we tell people the, the honest things that we battle through each and every day, our understanding, that's when Jesus can shine. And that's when we become lights that walk out in the world. The other thing I thought John really kind of came out today is, you know, when we read the Bible, there's this theology they talk about where there's only one interpretation, but there's many applications. And it's really important that we have that in our heart because that's where the personal part of Jesus comes in. You know, we all have this understanding of what it means to walk in our in our own life and we read the bible and we see peter crying out desperately you know he's kind of virtually on his deathbed i mean he he is crying out so passionately for the church to step up and show these things and to be the church that jesus wants well we all understand that interpretation you know i think all of us here can go okay i get that but now what we have to do is you have to take that and you have to say, okay, Lord, how do I apply it? How do I show that in my specific workplace, in my walk, in my family, right? And each of us have different situations. You know, we all have different workplaces with different challenges. We all have different family lives with different challenges. But that is where Jesus comes and walks with us. That's why we need to hear his voice. We need to know his voice because it's not a one-size-fits-all sort of situation. If it's one-size-fits-all, he doesn't have to know the hairs on your head and he doesn't have to know the number of sparrows on the earth. But he does know that and he wants to, he wants to just come in there and he wants to show you how to do it. And I promise you, you will never have a more gentle teacher than Jesus. He's not out to embarrass you. He's not out to, you know, to, to make your life miserable. He may call some things out of you that, that are uncomfortable. We all go through those. But he is gentle. He is loving. And when, when he calls you to do something, I can just only promise you that love and joy and peace and comfort ride on the other side of that because that's what he promised. So Lord, we just thank you this morning. We thank you that you are a God to the broken. Lord, that you came in humility to show us how to humble ourselves before you. And Lord, we just pray that you would show us how to apply these things that you would teach us into our lives, Lord, that they would not be academic thoughts, that they would not be great ideas, but they mean nothing in the real world. Lord, your Bible is a real world book. Lord, it applies to the real world. It applied when you walked this earth. It applied when you created this earth. Lord, and it'll apply in every day of this earth into the future. And so, Lord, we just ask you to show us the application 
this week and in the weeks to come, Lord. Show us how to walk out these things that you teach and that you show us. And Lord, that we would just be discipled. We would be disciplined to come and hear your voice. We pray this in your week and just ask you to bless us as we take those steps of faith forward. Amen.